going to invite you to take your uh, bulletins and turn with me to page 5. There at the bottom you'll see a number of different passages uh, are printed for you. Uh, if you are a regular attender here at Trinity, then you know that our, our normal routine, our, our bread and butter here at Trinity is to go through books of the Bible and to work our way exegetically through those books of the Bible. Occasionally it's actually helpful for us to do what I call more of a thematic sermon, something that's more on a topic and looking at what the Bible says about that theme. And today we're going to be doing one of those thematic sermons, thinking about the fear of the Lord and what that looks like. And so we're going to be looking at several different passages, and I'm going to read those for you here in just a minute. Also, just want to point out a very helpful book that uh, has just come out, and it was particularly helpful to me this week as I was preparing and thinking about what the Bible says about the idea of godly fear. It's a new book by a man named Michael Reeves called Rejoice and, and Tremble. Uh, the Surprising Good News of the Fear of the Lord. And I found this to be very helpful. I would commend it to you. We actually have a few copies on our book wall if you want to pick one up and dig a little deeper into our, our theme for today of the fear of the Lord. So let's look now at what the Bible says in Scripture and see what we can learn from it as we look at these passages at the bottom of page 5. Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And they shall be my people, and I, shall be their, I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, we come before you and ask for your spirit to, to open our eyes and our hearts. Help us to see wonderful things from these passages this morning. Specifically, Father, we pray that you would give us an understanding of what a godly biblical fear of the Lord looks like. And as you do that, Father, would you increase our love for you and our wisdom and how to live as your people and a desire to be more and more like our Savior. For we ask it in his name. Amen. What is it that you most greatly fear? What are the things that bring fear into your life? What are the things that cause so much fear in your heart and mind that you can be paralyzed by it? Maybe things come to your mind like losing a loved one or something bad happening to a child, getting sick getting a serious medical diagnosis. Maybe it's the fear of the loss of constitutionally protected freedoms. Maybe it's the fear of loneliness and not having friends. Maybe it's the fear of the possibility of persecution. As you think about the things that cause fear in your life, I want you to also think about what are the things that you run to to give you release to that from that fear. How, how do you respond in the moments when you are the most afraid? What do you do to get release and relief? Does it ever lead to you getting angry? Maybe turning to substances that would numb your fear? Maybe giving in to sin. Maybe even running away from the Lord. And some may even go further than that. Many of you know the name Bertrand Russell. He was a late 19th and 20th century British philosopher and mathematician, historian, social critic, political activist. He considered himself a political and social liberal and a socialist. He also consider himself not only an atheist, but he would call himself an anti-theist because he believed that belief in God was particularly harmful. In 1927, he gave an address called Why I Am Not a Christian. And in that address, he said these words. Religion is based, I think, primarily and mainly upon fear. It is partly the terror of the unknown and partly, as I have said, the wish to feel that you have a kind of elder brother who will stand by you in all your troubles and disputes. Fear is the basis of the whole thing. Fear of the mysterious, fear of the defeat, fear of death. 
Fear is the parent of cruelty, and therefore it is no wonder if cruelty and religion have gone hand in hand. It is because fear is at the basis of those two things. In this world, we can now begin a little to understand things and a little to master them by the help of science, which has forced its way step by step against the Christian religion, against the churches, and against the opposition of all the old precepts. Science can help us to get over this craven fear in which mankind has lived for so many generations. Science can teach us, and I think our own hearts can teach us, no longer to look round for imaginary supports, no longer to invent allies in the sky, but rather to look to our own efforts here below and to make this world a fit place to live in instead of the sort of place that the churches in all these centuries have made it. It's a pretty bold statement. His basic idea was this. If you liberate people from a belief in God, that will free them up from their fears. It's been nearly a hundred years since he said those words. And as we look into our own lives and into the lives of our society, into the lives of this world, I think we can see that he was profoundly mistaken. The loss of the fear of God has not made people less afraid, but I would argue more so. And this fear is not just something for those who don't believe in God. Even those who do believe in God, even those who claim the name of Christ, we are not immune from inordinate and wrong fears either. We too can be overwhelmed by an ungodly fear. And we can even experience a fear of God which causes us to be driven away from God rather than being compelled toward Him. And so it is absolutely important that we have an understanding and an embracement of the biblical view of the fear of the Lord. But that doesn't mean that it's intuitive or even easy to understand from the Bible. Because the Bible tells us what may seem on the surface contradictory things about fear. It tells us that we are to fear the Lord. That we are to pursue and even cultivate and even be joyful in a fear of the Lord. But even as we've seen seen earlier in our service, it also tells us fear not. Do not fear. The Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. So which is it? Well, let's look at these passages of the scriptures and let's see what we can learn today. We'll see that there are, the Bible speaks about two basic different kinds of fear. And we'll look and see what drives out the wrong and the sinful fear. We'll look and see what the right and godly fear produces in us. And then we'll finish by figuring out how we can get this godly fear. So first of all, Two different kinds of fear. If you look at the Exodus 20 passage, you'll notice that two different kinds of fear are mentioned. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. 
Moses said to the people, Do not fear. I will provide, excuse me, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. Here's an interesting thing. Here's just a few verses, and we have a number of times that the word fear appears in these verses. And in the Hebrew, it all is the same root Hebrew word. Even though it's clear that there are different kinds of fear in these verses. The people were greatly afraid. They were, they were trembling. They didn't even want to hear from God because they were afraid of Him. And Moses says, do not fear. Because the Lord is going to put the fear of Him in your hearts. So here we see these different kinds of fear. There are probably lots of different kinds of fear that we could look at in the Scriptures, but the Bible seems to speak about two different major kinds of fear. One is a good fear. It's a right fear. It's a godly fear. And another it speaks of as something that we are to throw off, that we are to get rid of. A fear that is not good, that is not right, and it, is even, it can be even sinful. So, first of all, let's look at the wrong fear. Again, we see it in Exodus 20. The people were afraid. They were trembling. And you remember back in Isaiah 43, the prophet told the people, fear not. And again, in 2 Timothy, Paul talks about the fact that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. Do not fear. There's a fear that is not good for us to have. There's a spirit of fear that is not right. It is wrong. And when we see the scriptures talk about this kind of fear, it's always in the sense of being afraid of something, of being terrified, of having dread, of terror, of, of being incredibly anxious and worrying. It's negative in its connotation. This is the, the thing of nightmares. And it arises out of a lack of control. Something bad is going to happen to me or to my family, to someone that I care about, someone that I know, and I can't stop it. I can't keep it from happening. I don't have control. And it causes a fear to well up in us. The Dutch theologian Wilhelmus Abrockel said that this kind of fear issues forth from love. Now that's an interesting way of looking at it. What he meant was that we have such a love for ourselves and for other people and other things and we are afraid of something bad happening to them. We're afraid of something being taken away from us. And so it's a fear that comes out of our love and a lack of control on our part. This wrong fear can also be something that drives us away from the Lord. It can be a, a, a fear, a trembling uh, uh, of the Lord, being afraid of Him. A view that sees God as a monster or an ogre who is always out to give, get us. And so we serve Him and obey Him just out of a fear of being punished. Well-known atheist who also referred to himself as an anti-theist Christopher Hitchens, who died in 2011 and met his creator, talked about the possibility that of God's existence. And he said this, I think it would be rather awful if it was true. If there was a permanent, 
total, round-the-clock, divine supervision of everything you did. You would never have a waking or sleeping moment when you were being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death. It would be like living in North Korea, he said. There could be that kind of fear of the Lord that he's out to get us. He's some monster that he's just watching us, that he's, that he's uh, doing things to us and, and he's some kind of ogre. You can have a wrong fear of the Lord that causes us to fear holiness. It's a fear that what the Bible calls sin, what the Bible calls us to give up in our lives, would mean a, a loss of satisfaction and contentment and happiness on our part. And so we fear that God doesn't really want us to be happy. Inasmuch of this kind of fear drives us away from the Lord, it's a wrong fear, even a sinful fear. But Scripture talks about a different kind of fear, a fear of the Lord that is actually good. Again, we see it in Exodus 20. God's going to put the fear of Him before them, He says. And in Proverbs 1 and 9, we read that there's a fear of the Lord that, that brings knowledge and that brings wisdom and brings insight. When the Bible talks about this kind of a fear, it doesn't have the sense of being afraid and dreading, but it is a sense of reverence and honor and awe and wonder and astonishment at who God is. Just as the sense and the negative sense of the connotation of the word has a high degree of intensity, so this is not some mild respect of God, but an intense awe and reverence of God. It's a fear that drives us to Him, that compels us to come to Him and not drive us away from Him. Charles Spurgeon called it a fear that leans toward the Lord because of His very goodness. As we, as we gain an understanding and a growth and understanding of the Lord's attributes and who He is, His goodness, it's a fear of Him that causes us to lean toward Him rather than causing us to go away from Him. This is a fear that leads to good things. It leads to wisdom. It leads to knowledge. It leads to a closer fellowship with the Lord. It leads to a greater love of the Lord. It leads to increased obedience to the Lord. So inasmuch as this fear draws us into closer and greater fellowship with the Lord, this is a godly fear. This is a good fear for us to pursue. So how do we get rid of the bad fear? What drives out a sinful, wrong, ungodly fear that we experience? Especially a fear that pulls us away from the Lord. Well, these passages tell us a couple things. A couple things that, that, that drive out our sinful fear. And the first is, it is a trusting in God's faithfulness to His covenant promises of grace and love to His people. You can see that in Jeremiah 32. God speaking says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart. 
And with all my soul, what is the Lord describing in these verses? He is describing his faithfulness to his covenant promises. He is describing his love and his grace to his people. He's describing the gospel. And he connects this idea of trusting God's love and grace and covenant promises with a godly fear that he will put into our hearts. John Bunyan, in his treatise on the fear of God, said that a true godly fear flows primarily from a sense of the love and the kindness of God to our souls. From some sense of the hope of mercy from God by Jesus Christ. Indeed, nothing can lay a stronger obligation upon the heart to fear God than a sense of or hope in His mercy. That's what the fear of the Lord rightly is. That's what will drive out our sinful fear as we grow in our trust of God's faithfulness to His covenant promises. Charles Spurgeon in one of his sermons says, There have lived and there are living now men and women who have given their whole selves to Jesus, many of whom are laboring for Him even beyond their strength, and many... Such men and women have died for his sake, the most cruel deaths, without shrinking back or seeking to escape that terrible cross. Whence came such a fear of God as that? Why, it could never have come into their hearts if they had not received the forgiveness of their sins for Christ's sake. But having been forgiven, they came to love and to fear, not with a servile fear, but with a holy awe, the blessed one through whose precious blood they have been cleansed. Thus, forgiveness of sins is essential to to true fear of God. And where it is enjoyed, it is the main motive which moves them to fear God and brings them into that blessed condition. What, what is it that will drive out our sinful and wrong fears? It is trusting God's work and the gospel of grace. Isn't that what the prophet Isaiah, as he gave us God's word, as God was speaking through Isaiah, he tells his people, fear not. Why? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. The true fear, biblical fear, drives out the ungodly fear as we trust in the faithfulness of God's promises in the gospel. As we see the the enormous extent of Jesus' forgiveness for our sins, when we see how far that He went to redeem us, how much that He loves us, it drives out our sinful fear and creates in us a loving, awe-filled, godly fear of the Lord. It's at the cross that we see the extent of our sin. We see what it cost our Savior. And then we see Jesus not shrinking back from the cross, but taking it on. And so our understanding of His grace grows and deepens and it drives out our sinful fear and creates in us a godly fear. That's not the only thing that we see in these passages that drives out a sinful fear. It is trusting God's faithfulness to His covenant promises, to His love, to His grace, to the very gospel of grace. But we also see what else draws out sinful fear, drives out sinful fear. It is trusting that God is at work. Now look at the Genesis 50 passage toward the bottom of page 5. You may remember the context of this passage. It's the Old Testament story of Joseph's brothers 
not liking him and selling him into slavery into Egypt. Then they go and tell their father a lie that he had been killed by, by animals. And Joseph was there in Egypt all by himself and he rose in stature and power in, in the sight of Pharaoh to the point when he was even uh, uh, in, a, in a place of leadership. And then when a famine came on the land and Joseph's family and the people of God were at risk, God used what had happened in Joseph's life as he's now in power to bring the Israelites into safety and to provide for them. And as Joseph addressed his brothers about this great evil that they had done to him, he says here in, in Genesis 50, Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is a picture of the fact that God is at work. Even in the hard and difficult circumstances of our life. Even in the midst of those things, we have the promise that God is at work and He's working all things according to His good providence. It reminds us of that verse that is often quoted by Paul from Romans chapter 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, yes, this verse is misused and it is quoted in harsh ways at times, but that does not mean it's not true. God is at work, working all things together for the good of his people who are called to the, according to his purpose. The more that we would believe that and understand it, it helps to drive out our sinful fears. What is it that causes you to fear? God is at work in the midst of those hard and difficult circumstances. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be engaged in or concerned about or saddened by things that happen in our life. But what would drive out the inordinate, paralyzing, unhelpful and wrong fear is truly believing and trusting that God is at, the, at work in the midst of it. Puritan John Flavel wrote a little a booklet called A Practical Treatise on Fear. And in it he says this, If men would but dig to the root of their fears, they would certainly find unbelief there. Then he quotes from Matthew 8, Jesus speaking to his disciples, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? The less faith, still the more fear. Fear is generated by unbelief, and unbelief is strengthened by fear. And therefore, all the skill in the world can never cure us of the disease of fear until God first cure us of our unbelief. Christ, therefore, took the right method to rid his disciples of their fear by rebuking their unbelief. So here's the application for us. Think about the wrong fears that you have in life. Think about those sinful fears that grip you. Go below the surface of those fears. Peel the onions of the layer the, the, the layers of the onion off. Down below there, there's some form of unbelief. And to root it out, 
Trust in the Lord's faithfulness and his promise to you to love you and to give you his grace. Trust that the Lord is at work and that he is accomplishing his good and perfect will and that he's working all things together for the good of his people. As we trust those things, he uses that to drive out our sinful fear and our unbelief. What does the godly fear that we read about in the scriptures, what does that produce in us? It actually mentions several things here in these verses. The Bible tells us that a godly fear produces a number of different things. One thing it produces in us is love. Look at the Deuteronomy 6 passage and the Jeremiah 32 passage and notice the close connection between a right godly fear of God and a love for God. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your might. And again, the Jeremiah 32 passage. They shall be my people. I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Both of these passages have this connection made between a right, true, biblical, godly fear of the Lord and a growth in the love of the Lord. Michael Reeves in his book says this, The living God is infinitely perfect and quintessentially, overwhelmingly beautiful in every way. His righteousness, His graciousness, His majesty, His mercy... His all. And so we do not love Him aright if our love is not a trembling, overwhelmed, and fearful love. In a sense then, the trembling fear of God is a way of speaking about the intensity of the saints' love for and enjoyment of all that God is. And then he quotes Charles Spurgeon, It is not because we are afraid of Him, but because we delight in Him that we fear before Him. The more that we fear the Lord, the more that we love Him. Until, his, until this becomes to us the true fear of God, to love Him with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. The Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn away from me. A godly fear, this biblical fear, drives us not away from the Lord, but drives us to Him. It causes us to have a greater love for Him and a deeper devotion to Him. True godly fear expands the heart and the mind and the imagination with an awe and a majesty and the beauty and the reverence of the Lord. And that simply must overflow into a greater love for Him. It's not the only thing that the passages tell us here that this biblical godly fear produces in us. Not just a greater love for the Lord, but wisdom. 
Again, the Proverbs passage are very clear about that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord, this biblical fear of the Lord, this good fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. To grow in a godly fear of the Lord is to grow in the knowledge and understanding of the Lord. And that leads to wisdom because God is wisdom. He is truth. The more that we know Him, the more that we know truth, the more that we will have wisdom. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing the truth. It is knowing right and wrong, but it's more than that. Wisdom is taking the knowledge of what is right and wrong and applying it into our everyday lives, into day-to-day circumstances. And that's something that we always pray for. Don't we want wisdom in knowing how to live our lives? Proverbs tells us that it begins with a growing godly fear of the Lord. This godly fear gives us love for the Lord. It gives us wisdom. It also moves us to look more and more like our Savior, to grow in Christ's likeness, to pursue holiness. This is tied to the fact that godly fear leads us to a greater love for the Lord because a greater love for the Lord must lead to a greater obedience to the Lord. In fact, we see that in Exodus 20. Where Moses says to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The fear of the Lord before us would move us not to sin. Or again, the Second Timothy 1 passage where Paul contrasts having a wrong spirit of fear with having power and love and self-control. Again, Michael Reeves in his book says, The fear of God as a strong biblical theme thus stands as a superb theological guard dog. It stops us from thinking that we are made for either passionless performance or a detached knowledge of abstract truths. It backs us into the acknowledgement that we are made to know God in such a way that our hearts tremble at His beauty and splendor. And that we are remade at the deepest level. It shows us that entering the life of Christ involves a transformation of our very affections. So that we begin actually to despise, not merely renounce the sins that we once cherished. And treasure the God that we once abhorred. The fear of the Lord, this biblical fear of the Lord fills us with a a growing love and awe for the Lord, which then moves us to greater obedience and holiness. A true godly fear is not a dread and a terror that God is some kind of monster who will destroy us if we don't live exactly right. But it is being so full of the awe and the majesty and reverence and love for the Lord that the sins that were once so appetizing to us become disgusting. That's what this godly fear produces, a greater love for the Lord. It produces wisdom in our lives and it moves us to greater obedience in Christ's likeness. So how do we get it? How do we get this godly fear? I mean, if this is what the Bible says that it's about, don't we want it? Well, I wish I could just give you three easy steps. Here, just do these three things. 
and you'll have a godly fear and all these things will be true for you. I wish there was an easy fix. Michael Reeves helps us one more time understanding why that's not the case. The fear of God is not the mere sum of certain behaviors or something that we can acquire with simple self-effort. If it were, it would be an entirely superficial and infinitely less precious matter. Instead, instead of being a consequence of any particular practice, the fear of God is a matter of the deeper orientation of a renewed heart. It's not three easy steps. It is having a deeper orientation of a renewed heart. Now, how does that happen? It happens only through the work of the Holy Spirit. It is only as the Holy Spirit would be at work in us, giving us a change of the orientation of our hearts, renewing our hearts in His good time and pleasure. And what's the normal way that the Holy Spirit works? The Holy Spirit can work however He sees fit. But what's the normal way that the Holy Spirit works? It is through the ordinary, mundane, and unexciting means of grace. It's through the reading and the preaching of the Word. It's through prayer and communion with our God. It's through participating in the sacraments. It's through corporate worship. It's through fellowship with God's people. It's, it's by making use of, of good resources like Reeves' book and Bunyan and Flavel and Spurgeon and others who have written on the fear of God. So as we finish this morning, as we contemplate how it is that we could have a greater sense of the of fear of the Lord that is biblical and right and good, we see that we get it through the slow, repetitive, ongoing commitment to the tools that the Lord has given to us, the means of grace. And as the Holy Spirit is at work through those things, we learn that there's a difference between a right and good and biblical fear of the Lord and a wrong, sinful fear. And we see that what will drive out our sinful fears is growing in our trust in the Lord's faithfulness to His promises of love and grace to us as His people. Trusting in His, in His promise that He will always be at work in us. We see it producing in us a greater wisdom and understanding of the truth that then gets applied into our day-to-day -day life circumstances. We see that it produces in us a greater love for the Lord that compels us into a closer and deeper fellowship with Him. And we see it ultimately leads to a greater desire and experience of obedience in Christ's likeness. So here, as we finish, maybe is the first step for all of us to take. Even this week, pray. Pray boldly and ask the Lord to give you an increasing godly fear of Him. And then search the Scriptures for what it says about this godly fear. Let's pray together. Father, we have so many things in our life that bring us fear. And even those of us who would outwardly make it look like we have no fears know what it means to be paralyzed by this wrong 
unbiblical fear. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to have a greater understanding of who you are. And that through that, through the work of the Spirit, our sense of awe and wonder and astonishment, not just of your grace and mercy, but of your very character, that that would fill us with an increasing godly, biblical fear of you. A fear not of being afraid of you, but a fear that draws us to you into deeper fellowship and communion. And Father, as you do that, would you, through that fear, cause our love for you to grow? Give us increasing wisdom in how to live as your people in this, this world such as it is. And Father, we pray that we would be drawn more and more into a closer relationship with our Savior such that we would be more and more like Him. That You would create a growing holiness and a, and a thirst for holiness in our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.